So great to be here preaching to you wherever you are. I'm actually fresh out of quarantine myself. It turns out that I tested positive for COVID over the holidays, and uh, I'm really grateful and fortunate. It was largely asymptomatic, and my family is good. Although I know that's not the case for some of you listening, I feel like I've heard a lot of prayer requests in this past week for those in our church body or for their family members who are really battling the virus right now, and so I'm battling with you in prayer. We want you to know that. But I am grateful, I am fortunate, uh, I'm glad and energized to be preaching today, even though it's in a pretty much empty room. At least it's not my room, and that has me pretty fired up. But what also has me fired up is our, our topic, our, our passage, and our message for today. We're going to look at Jesus commissioning his church. Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series called We Are the Church. Pastor Tom invited us to look at how Christ loves his church, not just individuals. He didn't just die for us individually, but he died and laid down his life for his church. Now, the church is not the same as church buildings, and it's not one and the same as church institutions that bear that name, although there can be some overlap. But Jesus' church is what he described in Matthew 16, which we looked at last week. When Peter declared Jesus to be Savior and Lord, he says it's on that rock that foundation that Jesus would build his church, his ecclesia, his called out people from all ages and nations who confess Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord. And that people, that church, leaving the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Matthew 16 last week was Jesus pointing forward to the church that he would build. And today we're going to jump to the very end of Matthew's gospel to see Jesus commission his church. We're going to turn to Matthew 28. This is after Jesus' death on the cross and after his resurrection from the dead. And we have here his final words to his disciples, his commission, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' commission here is a, a directive that is sandwiched in between a declaration and a promise. I'm going to focus mostly today on the directive that he gives his church, but it's important before we get into it to realize that this directive he gives flows out of a declaration. Verse 19 begins with, therefore, go and make disciples. And whenever you see therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? And it points back to verse 18 where Jesus claims, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the basis. His, his directive doesn't just come out of nowhere, but it comes out of this reality that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. If anyone else were to ever claim something like that, run away, far away. It's dangerous. But in Jesus' case, it's true. And he has just demonstrated his authority by his resurrection from the dead. He took all the worst sin and evil and darkness and powers of the world and death itself upon himself and rose victorious over it all to demonstrate his authority over all things. 
And that's what this flows out of. The Great Commission, as this is known, is not just a human program or an institution or an effort to get people up from their side to our side, but it is calling the world to submit to the rightful authority and leadership of Jesus. And this is his directive. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. To break this down a little bit, and it looks like there are four verbs in this commission, go, make, baptize, teach. But there really is one main imperative in this. There's one verb in the original Greek that's in the imperative form, and that is make disciples. That is the main imperative, the command given here by Jesus. The other verbs, baptizing, teaching, and even go, are in a participle form which is a form of a verb used to describe or to enhance the action of the main verb. Give you an example to just sort of spell this out. It's sort of like a sentence like this. Putting down your phones, listen to one another, looking each other in the eye and focusing on what one another is saying. There's one main command in there, listen to one another. And the other three verbs are participles to to say what's involved in that. What does it take in order to really do that? Putting down your phone, look at each other in the eye, focus on what you're saying. Those things are all really important to the process and necessary, really, but they're not the main end. The main end is listening. And so in the Great Commission, the main end of it all is making disciples. That is the mission of the church. The commission that Jesus gives to his church is to make disciples. Disciples, not of ourselves, but disciples of him, to cause people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, a disciple, I want to define it a little bit. It's not uh, exclusive to Christian faith or anything like that. It's, it's a dynamic that takes place in the world in a lot of different ways. The Dallas Willard defines a disciple this way. An apprentice who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. A disciple is a devoted student under the teaching of a master, of a teacher, in hopes of being transformed to become like that master and to do the things that master does. This dynamic plays out in a lot of different places. A kind of silly example, there's a really popular show on Netflix right now called Cobra Kai, which picks up on the story of the Karate Kid many years later. And there's this dynamic all throughout Cobra Kai of senseis. There are these senseis, the instructors, teachers, and their students who follow them uh, in their teaching. And in all the cases, the, the response of the student over and over again is one of, yes, sensei. Whatever the sensei says, tells them to do, or instructs them to, to be like, the answer is always, yes, sensei. And... Uh, Now, sadly, the senseis in Cobra Kai are largely really messed up people, and that sort of devotion to them and to their teaching ends up getting kids into a lot of trouble. But I think in the church, we could use a little bit of that posture towards Jesus, more of that posture, one of, yes, sensei, even when the the master's instructions are difficult or hard to understand at first, the proper response is, yes, sensei, yes, Lord, yes, Master, not 
hmm, let me think about it, or I don't know if that really applies to me, or that seems like it's maybe for super Christians out there somewhere, but, but just the simple, yes, Lord. He is the perfect teacher, the perfect master. His commands are all good and lead us into a path of life. And the appropriate response is yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. That's what it looks like to be a disciple, to be with him, with that posture towards him. And as that happens, we actually do begin to imitate him more and more. We don't just learn things about him, but we start to reflect his life in the world. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. It says, a disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teachers. There is some expectation that disciples of Jesus would imitate him more and more, reflect him in the world. And this is the mission of the church, to make disciples, to form people who are disciples of Jesus, who say to him, yes, Lord, and sit under his teaching and follow him wholeheartedly and become more and more like him as they do. That's our mission, to make disciples. So now let's spell out kind of the, the supporting verbs, the participles in the Great Commission. How do we do this? How do we make disciples? Well, first, we make disciples by going. Go is the first verb in here. And it is a participle like the others. It, it's sort of like going, make disciples, or sort of as you go from here, make disciples, or wherever you go, make disciples, that sort of thing. Sometimes this passage has been limited to, to thinking about global missions, kind of going to some faraway place in order to bring the good news of Jesus. And to the degree that this passage has inspired that, um, that's wonderful, praise God. But this is actually the mission given to all people. Even if you never leave Worcester or you never go anywhere, really, this is our charge to make disciples wherever we are, wherever we happen to go, to go where Jesus says to go, to stay where he says to stay, and to consider ourselves sent. Wherever we are, to consider ourselves sent by Jesus as we go, wherever we go, this is our commission. This is the mission of the, the whole church, wherever we are. Another reason this passage has been associated maybe primarily with global missions is this emphasis on all nations, make disciples of all nations. Really, the word nations is the, the Greek word ethnos, meaning just a people group. This is to say that this commission is, applies to all, all kinds of people. You could say, go make disciples of every kind of person. A life of discipleship to Jesus is available and open to all kinds of people, and no one culture has a monopoly on it. That's really what this is getting at. But in the Western world, in the Western church, perhaps already with a bit of cultural superiority about it, has often read this and interpreted it to mean that discipleship is something that has to happen over there, far away. We have to go to other nations, other places to make disciples of them and kind of ignore the discipleship need in our own backyard. But believe me, the Western world, including the Western church, is in some serious need of discipleship to Jesus. We're a country that really is facing many crises right now. Of all of them, perhaps one that breaks my heart the most is we live in a country where still upwards of 60% of the people claim to be Christian, yet there is so, few, so little authentic discipleship to Jesus Christ. 
There is a wide gap, a chasm between professed faith in Jesus and authentic transformative discipleship to Jesus that really makes his life manifest and present and visible in the world. That's a gap, a chasm. Dallas Willard calls it the great omission in the church. It's a reason, in large part, why younger generations are leaving the church in droves. And I get it, it's a disillusioning kind of thing, but the answer is not to then just bail out of what Jesus is building on the earth that will not lead to life, but instead for us as a church to double down on the real work of making disciples that Jesus commissioned us to do. And the church will continue to grow as we do that. And the church is always growing, regardless of how it's doing in a particular place or a particular institution. Church growth really is about more and more disciples of Jesus being made. And really, still, every day, there are new disciples of Jesus. And there have been ever since he gave this commission. And there will be until he comes again. The church, regardless of numbers or how it goes institutionally, is always growing and will grow until he comes again. Because the real measure of it is more people becoming disciples of Jesus. How did I get off on all that? Okay, so going. That's one way that we make disciples is is going. Consider ourselves sent wherever we are. We don't have to really even leave where we are, but but to be there with a sense of mission and purpose. Second, we make disciples by baptizing. Now, baptism as a practice, something we do here when people profess Jesus as Savior and Lord, get baptized, that is a a practice of the church, but it means more than that. When we explain why we do baptism here by immersion, we've often explained that the Greek word baptizo literally means to immerse, and this is part of what it means to become a disciple of Jesus, and to make a disciple of Jesus is to create and form lives that are immersed in the life of Jesus, immersed in the presence of God, where everything about our lives comes under him, under his authority, under his leadership. He's a part of all of it. We don't do any of our lives separately from Jesus. Last week, Pastor Tom shared a few diagrams with us that I'll review real quickly to go through them. Often, we think of our lives in terms of Lots of different things that we do. There's us at the center. We do work and family and school and friends and hobbies and whatever the case may be. And then Uh, perhaps Jesus becomes a part of that, and then uh, church takes the part of kind of our spiritual life, that side of our life, but everything else we still go about the same. When in reality, our lives are to be immersed in Jesus. As we become part of his church, that affects everything. Jesus is at the center, and there's no part of our life that goes untouched, that is not under his leadership and done with him in his presence. Everything that we do. It's not enough to simply do our life, work and school and family and career, and and then try to have a, a devotional life to fit in there somewhere. But we're called instead to have a devoted life of all things submitted to the leadership and the teaching of Jesus, becoming more like him in everything that we do. Baptizing. The church's mission is to baptize people in that way, to have lives that are fully immersed in the presence of God. And then thirdly, we make disciples by teaching. Teaching is a really important part of church life. Often people will come to a new church and think, well, how's, how's the teaching there? Good question. Uh, the, te- the end of teaching, though, as we see in the Great Commission, is that we teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
At the end of the day, it is important to teach right ideas about God. You know, we're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not just some generic higher power. Like, we have to teach about God and who he is rightly, but the end goal of right teaching is that people would obey Jesus in all things that he commanded us. It's an important litmus test. If teaching in a church doesn't result in obedience to Jesus, it's not good teaching or people aren't getting it, or one, one or the other, but the end goal is that we teach to obey everything Jesus commanded us. And what, what are some of those things? Well, let's just look back at what Matthew has recorded. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, we have, for example, the call to peacemaking and reconciliation, to not be consumed or controlled by anger, to pursue sexual integrity and wholeness and marital faithfulness, to forgive, to not be, love money or practice greed, but rather sacrificial generosity, to practice honesty and truth-telling, to love our enemies, to not repay evil with evil or violence with violence, to cultivate a deep life of prayer and to practice spiritual disciplines, not for show, but to cultivate a deep intimacy with our Father, and to not judge others. Now, none of these things are, are cryptically hidden anywhere in between the lines of the New Testament. They're, they're right there. But it can be stunning how people in churches of all different stripes can treat any number of these things as optional. These are not Jesus' suggestions to his disciples. His call is to obey him in everything that he calls us to. Now, I know we'll never be perfect. This is not a call to legalism. But we can't, but we have to just kind of pursue Jesus and, and make an attempt to, to say, yes, Lord, your ways are right. I fall short. I stumble over and over again. But not to not just completely dismiss or have no intention of obeying him in any of the things that he clearly calls us to. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If we don't do that, then any practice of the Great Commission on our part uh, could really be problematic. I'm, I'm always kind of stunned by these words of Jesus in Matthew 23 when he talks to religious leaders who are kind of zealous in their faith but missing the mark and the heart of God. And he says this in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Yikes. You know, to zealously go out and try to convert people without authentic discipleship in our own lives and in our message can actually make things worse. Our first step is to get serious about our own discipleship as we carry out the commission of Jesus. But then from there, where do we go? What does it look like to make disciples, to go, to teach, and to be a missional presence in the world? I'm going to use that term. Uh, I'm borrowing it. One of the best books I read this past year was by a pastor from Queens named Rich Vilodas, a book called The Deeply Formed Life, Five Transformative Values That Root Us in the Way of Jesus. And I was thinking, you know, what practically does it look like to live out Jesus' commission to us in the world. And, and I'm just going to take four from, from his book because he says it better than I do. Each of these could be their own sermon, but I'll run through them quickly. These are four practices related to being a missional presence in our world. 
First is the practice of hospitality. Practice of hospitality. Discipleship at its heart is a relational reality, a relationship between teacher and student. Jesus made disciples not by shouting his commands from some distant place on high, but by being in the lives and inviting others into his life, being in relationship with others. And, and discipleship is ultimately a relational thing. Very few disciples are made by being shouted at over a distance or over the internet. Most authentic disciples are made by being brought into relationship with other disciples, where we share our lives with them. We get close to them. We, we are open about everything, even our struggles, our, our, our difficulties, but how we turn to Jesus in the midst of them. We invite people into our lives. We invite people into our spaces, into our homes. We make time. We make space for others. That's what hospitality looks like. Otherwise, how will people really come into relationship with Jesus without uh, experiencing relationship with his disciples. So practice of hospitality is one. Uh, A second practice towards being a missional presence in the world is the practice of justice. Justice, the practice of justice, really does make Jesus known because his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is just. It's a just rule. It's a just realm. We announce his kingdom when we embody and work for justice, for people, all people being treated fairly and with dignity as God's image bearers. In big ways, in small ways, in public ways, in quiet, behind-the-scenes ways, public and private, systemic and personal, verbal, and in our actions. Now, we don't, it's not up to any one of us individually to, to do all of this, but it's, this is a commission given to us as a church, the church, Practicing justice announces the kingdom of God in the world and invites people into discipleship to Jesus. The third practice is the practice of commissioning work. The practice of commissioning work. So again, we can't just limit the Great Commission to missionaries or to pastors or to people who are in full-time vocational ministry. This is the work of the whole church. And so whatever it is we do for work, for vocation, we've got to know that it is where Jesus has placed us to announce his kingdom and to live it out and to embody it. And wherever we are, all of our work is an arena in which we are baptized to Jesus and embodying and living out discipleship to him. I'd point you back in our sermon archives to 2019. We did a series called Work Matters to get you thinking more about this. Anna mentioned in the announcements, if you have ideas for small groups, uh, please let us know. In this past week, I connected with Natasha Trapp, one of the leaders in our church who has an idea. She's a small business owner. And she said, hey, what if we gathered other women in the church who own small businesses to really pursue what does it look like to live out the Great Commission through our businesses, through our work? How could those be places and arenas where we bring God's kingdom to earth? And my answer was, yeah. Let's do it. If you're a woman in that position, that sounds interesting to you, comment in the chat or email our church. We'd love to connect with you. But that's the kind of thing, whatever it is we do, whatever our vocation may be, this is a place where we've been sent by Jesus to announce and embody his kingdom. So the practice of hospitality, of justice, of commissioning our work, and finally, we're a missional presence through the practice of announcing the gospel. Verbally, telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, the life he lived, 
the death he died in our place and his resurrection from the dead, his hope that he opens up to eternal life for anyone who says yes to him. We have to verbalize this at some point. Verbally communicate the good news about Jesus. Many of us are fond of saying uh, a common quote, uh, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. And I think that's true. Our actions, our lives, everything we live ought to preach the gospel and embody and show what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. But in pretty much every case, at some point, it is necessary to use words. It's really not fair to people who don't know Jesus to live it out in front of them and embody it and invite them into your life, uh, but to leave all the burden on them to connect the dots, to, to figure out for themselves how this connects to Jesus and how it is that he empowers this kind of life and what he's done on their behalf to open the way to be his disciple. We've got to explain that at some point, verbally practice announcing the gospel as we go about all these things. Now, does that sound hard? Sure, it is. But to quote Tom Hanks from A League of Their Own, it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. But this is not just for superheroes or super Christians. Look at the disciples that Jesus gave this commission to originally. He can use anybody in this process. And it's not up to any individual one of us to embody and communicate the whole of life in Jesus to any other person. This is the work of the church collectively to do together. It is a great commission, all of these things. And it might be even too great were it not for the promise that Jesus gives us as we live it out. Again, this commission, it flows out of a declaration and it ends with a promise. Jesus promises his presence at the end. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is not just us trying to do it by our own effort, by our own strength. This is us going out in the presence, in relationship with Jesus to make disciples, to call people to his leadership. Jesus not only promises his presence as we do this, he also promises his power. Skipping ahead to Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, a commissioning to call all kinds of people under the lordship, the leadership of Jesus, not out of our own strength, but we do it out of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a little teaser for next week when Pastor Lou will look ahead at Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to be present and powerful with his people from that point and on forever. Jesus gives us this great commission, but he does it with the promise of his presence and of his power. My wife Liz, for all the time I've known her, has often said, I never feel so close to God as when I really step out and obey him. That is so true. You want more of the power of God in your life, more of the presence of God in your life? Be his disciple, wholeheartedly committed, saying, yes, Lord, in all things, and jump in, find your place, say yes to his mission, the mission of the church. Go and make disciples of others, baptizing them, immersing lives in the presence of God, teaching the world to obey Jesus. His ways are the best ways to live life, to be human, 
and he is our, the rightful Lord over all of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that it's by your grace alone that we can even hear your words and hear your invitation to us to life with you. To whatever degree, Lord, those of us in my hearing just need to give our full yes to you on this day and in this moment. Call that out of us, Lord. Forgive us for the ways our commitment to you has been half-hearted or partial. Show us what it looks like to truly be a, a disciple that says yes to you in all things. But empower our church, Lord, to be a vehicle of the Great Commission. There's all kinds of stuff we can be about, all kinds of ways we can measure growth and success, but this, this is it, Lord. This is what we're here for. We are here because you are the rightful Lord of heaven and earth. You have all authority over all things. We're here to announce that, to embody that, to live that, and to give others the way in to life with you. Equip us, empower us, and embolden us to live out your commission to the church that we'd be faithful to it in all things and many would come to see, come to know, come to love and come to follow you all around us in Jesus' name, amen.